Welcome, true believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who would never toss my clothing into an incinerator, my reuse and recycle friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I'm doing great. Uh, I I wouldn't describe you as a, a particularly stylish dresser, James B., but I, I do know you value a, a good pressed shirt, don't you? I don't know if I'm going to go through the trouble of pressing the shirt. <laughs> Seems like a lot of work. I just don't want you to throw my stuff away. I mean, can you just recycle it or just use it again? I mean, I wouldn't, you wouldn't throw it into incinerator, my clothes, right? They're not that bad. Never. No, that sounds bad for everything. Well, one thing that was bad was the way that we did our last episode. Not bad, bad, but I'm just happy that we're going to get back to doing our traditional semi-scripted podcast because that last episode, it scared me. I am, I am definitely a bit of an over-planner. I got to say, I sweat on a couple parts of it, but, you know, it was a nice change up from our usual. But thankfully, we're back here um, to our typical format, everybody. Yeah, we're going to do the two issues again. And there's uh, something today that's going to make it even a little bit better. That's right, James B. Today we have a first time guest introducing Charlie Staten. We are elated to have you join us, Charlie. How's it going? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. I um so happy this is finally happening. When I was growing up, uh, I was pretty nerdy, but just never was in with the comic book crowd. And so I finally found uh, found my way to it. So I'm thrilled to be here. There you go. Wait Charlie, a second. Hold, you on, tell hold us- on. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt. You were nerdy, but you couldn't get in with the comic book crowd? Okay. So, all right. So <laughs> I was nerdy, but like I, for, I, I'm from like a – rural town and there just like weren't that many people that were into comic books. Charlie, why don't you tell us about yourself and what you hope to bring to this podcast? Sure, yeah. So uh humor writer, been writing for uh websites like McSweeney's, Slackjaw, uh for the last five or six years. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm new to the comic book world. So I think I bring a an outsider's perspective. Um so I'm excited to bring that. Well I gotta tell you uh I'm so excited that I have a, a humor writer on the show. Unfortunately, this first book not super funny, um, but we'll we'll make it. We'll make the most of it. Eddie, why don't you talk about the not so funny, kind of serious first issue we're going to discuss today? All right, it's a little heavy, but the Amazing Spider-Man ninety-two: The Iceman Attacks. Spider-Man finds Gwen and Sam Bullet in Peter's apartment and takes off with a reluctant Gwen in his arms. He swings with Gwen to help hide his identity, but doesn't count on Iceman coming after him. They do battle on a rooftop with Gwen nearby. Sam Bullet is thrilled with Spidey's escapades because he is now sure to win his district attorney election. Back at the bugle, we say J. Jonah Jameson standing up to Sam Bullet's threats against Peter. Bullet makes a trip to the bugle and says the following line, Anyone ever tell you, you know too much, black man? Charlie, what do you think about the social climate and politics in this issue? You know, they really stood out. Um, the one thing about writing satire is, you know, the, the, the trick is to write about what pisses you off or try to find a premise with what pisses you off. And I can see Stan Lee doing that here. Um, I think he's an underrated humor person. Um, but he's getting at some really serious issues. I mean, we see the law and order phrase repeated in today's politics, of course, and he's he's drawing uh, basically Bullet as Nixon here. I mean, the, the resemblance is uncanny. And he's bringing this, he's sort of 
making the dog whistle explicit here. And he's, he shows us behind the scenes. He shows us that Bullet, when he's not in front of the cameras, is calling uh, this character Sambo and he tries to murder him. So it's it's a very pointed and forceful commentary that I appreciated. Uh, well, Bullet the Bigot storms out after learning that Joe Robbie is going to expose him as a criminal and racist. Not long after, two thugs escort Robbie out of the building. Peter changes and follows his Spidey, but gets caught by the Iceman. Spidey quickly and unexpectedly subdues Iceman and continues to follow the car containing Joe Robbie. The thugs take Joe to an abandoned warehouse where they tie him up and threaten his life. Just as it looks bad for Joe, Iceman and Spidey attack the thugs. Spidey knocks them out by bowling one bad guy on a sheet of ice into the rest. Could be the best creativity in a battle in a while, gentlemen. Together, Spidey and Iceman drag the thugs to a dinner where Bullet is speaking and expose him as a wannabe gangster. The police escort him away. Um, yeah, that, that was that was issue 92. I, I gotta say, on page six, the cops are working with Bullet to arrest Spider-Man. And then on the final page, it's completely flipped. Let me read the two panels to show you how quickly they end this issue. It says, it's all over, Bullet. Your gunny spilled everything to the police. A nice man adds, and so did Joe Robertson. And Bullet says, no, no, he's dead. Robertson is dead. He has to be. My boys never fail me. Uh, did anyone else feel like this was sort of like, slamming on the brakes it was just like a shocking turn of events that like one page earlier the cops are after spider-man and then the book just ended really dramatically or did you guys think this was okay the way they did it as much as i appreciated the the sensitivity to the social issues it's very weird that bullet would an experienced politician would just like get, say my boys always never fail me to never fail to murder for me like uh, no experienced politician would never say that. Do you do you think it? You think they heard him since he was at a podium talking <laughs> into a microphone? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable ending there. Um, anything else about this issue that you guys uh, want to talk about? I actually, I have a quick, uh, kind of a quick one, James B. At the beginning, Spider, Spider-Man grabs Gwen and swings off with her. And I'm a little confused here as to why this is going to help protect Peter Parker and Peter Parker's identity. Yes, your question yes. is, the, all his thought bubbles are, this is going to get Peter Parker off the hook. And you're thinking, yes. how? Right. Very confused here. Uh, well, the good news is, I brought Charlie along to answer this question. So, Charlie, why don't you let us know how this is going to help? Yeah, I think Spider-Man really just wants to be close to Gwen and he might be grasping at straws. I mean, it's definitely not neat and clean and it's definitely like I 100% agree with you. But if I had to come up with an explanation, it would be maybe pointing at some kind of frantic energy uh, in Spider-Man that we see come out in episode 93. Yeah, this issue had had some promise. Um, I don't know if it cleared Peter Parker. I mean, you know, from the mess, but uh, you know, it, it, there was something going on. But this, this one I didn't enjoy as much as 93. And if you don't mind, I'll tell you a little bit about what happens in the amazing Spider-Man issue 93, the lady and the prowler. 
Let's hear it, James B. All right. Our tale begins with a recap, reminding the readers that Spider-Man is still being sought after in the death of Captain Stacy. Uh, the police are apparently ignoring his work with them in the prior issue. So, uh, Gwendy is rightly feeling neglected by Peter when her uncle in London offers her a chance to live with them. Her conversation with Peter goes as expected, where he declares his love for her and then backs off when she brings up her hatred for Spider-Man. I was thinking how the Amazing Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield, how they handled the death of Captain Stacy, it was very different. Uh, In the movie, Gwen knew his identity, and although he wasn't blamed for the death of Captain Stacy, Captain Stacy told him to stay away from Gwen, which is such a different take. Eddie, which way do you like better? I mean, I, I do like the thought that Captain Stacy views Peter as almost a, you know, part of his family, uh, more like a more like a son or a, certainly a son-in-law. Um, but I, I think anyone knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man is in danger. And I've said it before. I know it's happened in the movies, but with with characters like the Kingpin moving around and other criminals, they're just it's a huge vulnerability that he would have to constantly worry about. Um uh, Charlie, do you think Peter should tell her he's Spider-Man? So as a writer, if I was the writer of a serial comic, I would say absolutely not because we can hold on to some tension there. Um, and your thought actually just kind of like I was before you said that I was going to I was thinking like as a human, you tell someone if you love them because, you know, that's what you do. But. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I had almost forgotten about that deeper layer of sacrifice built into Spider-Man's character that, you know, if, if he really wants to be ethical and just, he has to, he really can't, l- like, love anyone and be with anyone in any sort of committed way uh, without risking them their lives. Uh, but in the end, I would say you can't go through life without loving anyone. You're, you're dead inside, so he should take a risk. All right. Well, James B., why don't you tell us uh, what happens next? Uh, Before I do that, Eddie, did you say you liked the book version better? I said I liked the movie version better, where Captain Stacy says, leave her alone. Um, I want to say I like the book version better. I like uh, the tension, as Charles, uh, sorry, the tension, as Charlie was discussing, of it's just another layer of tension. Like, oh, by the way, she hates Spider-Man and... He's trying to protect her. I think that's, I enjoy that more than uh, he loves her, but he can't have her because he made a promise to the dad. So, but mm. it's okay. Hey, um, I'm going to keep going. So watch me for the changes and try to keep up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Spider-Man goes to look for a fight to clear his head. Hobie Brown, AKA the Prowler, tells his girl Mindy that he needs to take care of some business. That business is getting to the bottom of this whole Spider-Man Captain Stacy affair. Spider-Man goes to look in on Gwen when the Prowler shows up to confront Spider-Man. And there's, of course, a problem with that because, well, Eddie, can you think of a situation where Spider-Man shouldn't be fighting someone but is fighting them because they're misinformed or mistaken? So many, quote, good guys Spider-Man has fought. I mean, we can always go to the Human Torch, which we know is a good guy. We could say also he's fought the Fantastic Four in the past, too, very aggressively, um, and then recently, the Black Widow. I remember when he fought Medusa. It was a very confused battle. We're on the same side here. 
<laughs> and don't forget, don't forget Kazar and Quicksilver. Yes, Kazar and thank you, James B. Kazar and Quicksilver. Well, uh, maybe the uh, cops can help Spidey out, James B. Well, speaking of cops, they fail to successfully close in, and uh, Spider-Man continues to battle the Prowler, who puts up a kind of a good fight, but he loses his grip in a skylight. It looks like an elevator, but they say it's a skylight, and he uh, he ends up hitting the ground and goes unconscious. Uh, he's alive. Spider-Man drags him out of there and then strips him down, takes off his costume, and throws it into an incinerator, which just conveniently is there. He carries him to the hospital and finds an empty room and puts him in a bed. And then he makes a couple phone calls and in comes the doctors and Mindy shows up to show her love and support for Hobie. And then, uh, yeah, Spider-Man just heads off uh, to go see Gwen, who in the morning seemed to be at her place. Uh, but now she's on a plane? Leaving uh, Peter with agony and sorrow? Um, yeah, a lot just happened there at the end between Hobie and Gwen and Mindy. Uh, Charlie, you're the guest. Uh, what do you think of this ending? I love the fact that we have Spider-Man in the corner watching this tender moment between Hobie and Mindy juxtaposed against Gwen leaving him. Um, it When you're reading the comic and you're in the flow of it, the action has just happened and you might miss that that moment of of good writing but um i really think they they transitioned back into character development really smoothly there um and you know the ending is it's a serial comic so we're leaving them on a cliffhanger it's the you know ross and rachel at the airport thing and it makes sense and we're going to read in the next episode uh but i i did like that it wasn't just a a gimmick they had that they had that moment where he was watching hobie and mindy yeah, I, I agree that moment is such a good one because Spidey's been grappling with this idea of telling Gwen whether he is Spider-Man slash Peter Parker or not. And that really, like, it's the turning point for him to go and in explosive lettering, and this time I won't, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to let her know. Unfortunately, of course, you know, she's not there when he arrives back at the apartment or house that she was in. Um. That, by the way, Charlie, thank you for bringing that up. I, you know, I I appreciate you seeing things. Uh, we're all different people, but seeing it from the writer's eye, I, I, I can I can see it now. But I wasn't thinking that way when I was first reading it. Um, Hobie Brown, the Prowler. Here's a gentleman who had the suit, uh, had some powers, made some bad choices, put the suit away forever, and said, "I'm not going to use this again." And then he sees Spider Man possibly in the death of Captain Stacy. And he decides this is worth putting on the suit again and, you know, getting out there. So he's kind of acting like a real hero there. I, you know, to me, this is a comic where the prowler shows up, gets beaten up and gets thrown in the hospital. But this is Hobie Brown's, I think this is his big hero moment. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I see that. I like that a lot. Well, James B, um, I think it's time for a sponsor. No? Yeah, of course. Of course. We definitely have to have a sponsor. And uh, Eddie, um, I have something that's never happened before. This is a very unique situation. Wow. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode. It's the first return of a sponsor. Really? It's the return, in fact, 
of our first sponsor. We are grateful to once again have back the first sponsor ever in the history of our podcast. It's the Old Acme Warehouse. Uh, the Old Acme Warehouse is located at the other end of town. It is first and foremost a place to hang out. They serve crackers and milk. It is a creative and professional space for professionals. You don't have to know a cha-cha from a waltz to know how great a place this is. And more importantly, it's a place for freelancers to work, uh, writers to write, uh, burglars to hide out, uh, hitmen to bring their victims and threaten to give them a long rest before they can blow the whistle on the boss. So don't hide, don't wait, don't be a poor man's Edgar G. Robinson. Please visit the old Acme Warehouse located at the other end of town. Check out their website at www.oldacmewarehouse.com. So I was really excited when one of our former sponsors reached out. Eddie, it has never happened. We've never had a repeat sponsor. Here we are, episode 60. Finally, someone decided to come back to us. I, I can't I can't say I'm very supportive of the sponsors often, but uh, this one in particular, how many dangerous criminal activities have occurred at the Acme Warehouse uh, through our reading of Spider-Man? I, I really think we need a little more screening on these sponsors, shapes me. I, I mean, Eddie, we work closed down. Where, where are you going to go? Like, it's Acme or nothing. And there's so much action there. Come on, Eddie. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, writers can go there to write. I mean, don't you like writing, Eddie? You like writing the summaries. I, I do like writing the summaries, but not not with um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Blackie Drago next to me or some. Well, you're or gonna don't some judge. Thug sent by uh, the dis- the future district attorney. You don't just say like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to this entire city just because a few people <laughs> in the city might be doing bad things. So, you know, yeah, the old Acme House, sure, burglars hide out there after they murder, you know, old men or hitmen bring their victims there. By the way, nothing actually happened to Joe Robbie there, just for the record. Ah. He didn't, you know, he got out. So I think you need to factor in all these things before you insult our sponsors. We just got this guy back, too. Let's you know, see how hard it was to get a sponsor to come back to us, Eddie. <laughs> I, I can only imagine how difficult it was. Well, next time uh, you but... go there and they ask you ask for crackers and milk and you wonder why your crackers are stale. Mm. Remember this moment. So, all right, hey, all right, James. We, we just did. We just did two books. Um, you know, no one really brags about the '90s, uh, and I'm talking about the issue numbers, not the years of the Spider-Man run. But uh, I thought there was some good stuff in here. Is there anything in particular that we didn't cover? Whether it's a single page or a quote, or it's uh, you know something else that you just want, want to talk about. I want to talk about the Prowler's claws. He is—he loves these claws so much. So much airtime gets given to his claws, and they're like the reason he's like he doesn't die. And Spider-Man's like uh, Prowler, as you're falling down the shaft, use your claws. <laughs> <laughs> like the Prowler would forget after he had after he had literally put his own clawed hands underneath Spider-Man's costume and said, I'll put my claws underneath Spider-Man's claws, as if he would forget to use his claws. (laughs) Should I say the word claws a couple more times? What do you guys think? (laughs) So I know how you really feel. (laughs) What do you think was more ridiculous? Spider-Man having to tell Hobie to use his claws (laughs) or bullet announcing that he was trying to murder Joe Robbie into the microphone in front of the police and everybody else. 
You got one pick. Only one. I mean, but we got to go with degree of difficulty here, and we have we have characters falling, and I mean, I got to give it to the claws. Okay, it's I Eddie. Do you realize that the claws have come up twice in our two podcasts with the prowler? Do you recall yes, them coming up? They, both, do. they came up both times. Um, we, you remember one of them? I'll tell you the other one. I remember them both. I, I think we had discussed, like, uh, the Prowler kind of crawls up a wall after he impersonates Peter Parker, and we talk about the claws. Yes. Gotta have his claws on. Yes. And your daughter had had a huge mention about the claws, too, right, when she was on. Yes, because she said that Hobie Brown announces, uh, Charlie, when he creates this costume back in issue 78, that he's creating a costume with all these tools that are going to make the window washing business better. Also, it's the other big racial issue where, because Hobie's black, his boss is like, I'm not going to take any advice from, like, your people. And then J. Jonah Jameson steps up again, and another rare J. Jonah Jameson stepping up and being doing the right thing kind of moment. But then Hobie's like, I'm going to use all these contraptions to make myself a costume. And my daughter said, why does he have these claws? Like, what purpose did they serve in the window washing business? So the claws have been brought up a few times. No one had a problem that he goes back to Gwen's house and there's a different person living there? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I thought about that. Is this a maid? Is it just a maid or something? But she's got her hair curlers in. So I was like, wait. She was always like, I'm leaving. Move in today. <laughs> how, how old's Gwen Stacy? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is another one. Um, what? I think she's uh, 22. You're like, well, no? your, well, your dad died. Guess, guess we got to take care of you now. <laughs> move to london please you've only been living in new york city your whole life and unbelievable anything else about this issue that you guys uh want to talk about I, this is remarkable for j jonah jameson i know he stood up before but he still he's is like you know in i'm talking about in, in issue actually 92 when bullet goes to you know muscle him back into line instead of writing bad things about him in the bugle he he you know he not only defends peter parker which who ever thought that would occur that's crazy joe yeah. robbie also I, it's just incredible yeah we ranked him very high on our villain list when we did our rankings before we have to rethink that um but we can't do all that now because we need to start wrapping this podcast up guys uh we have reached we got to keep it under a, a friendly uh 30 minute timeline here so um why don't we give uh, Charlie one more chance to talk about something that maybe he's involved in that maybe our listeners of Let's Read Spider-Man might want to check out? Yeah, absolutely. So I I think the times we're in right now call for satire and humor maybe more than any time we've ever been in history. Um, there's so many abuses of power. The, the inequality is so great um, that I think we need to both laugh and be shocked out of our complacency. Um, but also, like, we need to just have a laugh because uh, it's hard out there. Uh, so check out McSweeney's. Check out um, Slackjaw. Check out Reductress. Um, if you want to read something about the Volvo commercials that were happening in 2018, if they really pissed you off, uh, you can read my McSweeney's piece from back then. We'll have a link to it in the, in, uh, the show notes or I'm not sure what they'll be called. Uh, my Twitter, if you're curious, is at Husky Lees. Uh, the, uh, I wore Husky jeans when I was a kid, and I feel like memorializing that. So H-U-S-K-Y-L-E-E-S. 
People who wear husky uh, jeans are welcome in the uh, comic book nerddom. So you've, we got you. <laughs> Thanks, team. <laughs> Eddie, um, what's our Twitter feed and what's our email? You can find us at Let's Read Spider-Man at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Or you can message us on Twitter, too. Charlie, why don't you uh, do the close for us today? And remember, listeners, if you love someone, let them know. Goodbye. 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 Had you, had you read Spider-Man comics before? No X-Men, no Spider-Man, no nothing. You know, like I said, I was, I, I didn't have that person growing up. I was a bookish kid, but I didn't have that person who like had stacks of comic books and that got me into it. I'm gonna start reading now. I think it's a fun thing to do with my daughter. Um, and yeah, you know, we're gonna have another kid and. There's it's just this wealth of of great stories, right? Well, I think we really got to talk about this shirt Peter Parker's got on. Oh my god, <laughs> it's 1970 finally. <laughs> Give him a break. It's just bright. It's just the brightest shirt I've like. I'm having a hard time focusing on Gwen crying because my eyes are being pierced by this yellow, black, and green like neon shirt he's got on. Hideous. I don't know. He's ready to go to the club, but he's like moping around the city.